strategies you can use in about an hour. I am your host, Sean Morgan, sometimes known as Abuse Puppy, and I have with me on the left our good podcast host, Shaylin Allen. Good to see you all. Your chair was a little uncomfortable, Sean. That's your fault, not the chair's fault. <laughs> and our evil podcast host, Joshua Dath. Definitely evil, folks. Definitely evil. <laughs> oh man, yeah. The evilest. <laughs> So the goodest so, evilist. Yeah, well, you know, we have a little bit of good, a little bit of evil. It all balances out in the end, right? <laughs> I live my life on the right side of wrong. Yeah, uh, something. I mean, you've, you've all seen the the previews for the Good Omens movie that's coming up, right? Yeah, it's yeah, evil is good. Yeah, I'm the good guy. It helps. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. You're played by David Tennant, which is obviously a compliment. Yes. Oh yeah. Well, speaking speaking of good guys and bad guys. Uh, what? I had a little uh, question for all of y'all mm-hmm. that I think might be interesting to discuss. Who are your Warhammer heroes? Uh, not like the kind in the game because you know that's just name characters. Uh, but you know people who play the game. One of my biggest Warhammer heroes is Ben Schmuller. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, uh, one of our players from the Northwest, for those who aren't familiar with. And uh, was one of the instrumental influences to me very early in my career because he came out of the same meta I did. So Ben was one of the big pushes for me to do big tournaments. He showed me kind of a lot of TOing ropes and such. I learned mm-hmm. a lot about TOing from him and just demonstrating all sorts of other things and what not to do when it comes to drinking at tournaments. Yes. <laughs> ben is sometimes a good, bad example. Uh, but no, he, he organizes T-Shift these days. Yes. Uh, he was one of the five guys that stepped in and demonstrated, like actively demonstrated, no, that sexism is not permitted here i have seen mm-hmm. two of those five gentlemen are actually on the podcast with me so <laughs> there you go <laughs> yeah no ben is ben has been a, a friend of mine for a long time we both started back in you know started playing competitively back in fifth edition uh and been been good friends ever since yeah no uh he, he's a very wonderful gentleman and his wife is a really wonderful lady and yeah she is and i advise no. if you ever get the opportunity to talk to both of them please do so yeah that is one of the few guys I know that can really pull off the look of smoking a cigar. Yeah. <laughs> he pulls the look off. Yeah. He does. He has it down. Well done. He definitely does. <laughs> How about you, Josh? Oh, that's, that's a... That's, God, is such a hard question. Yeah. I Ironically, I actually have a, a, a few. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I have to go pretty far back. And I'm talking way back for me. When I first started really getting into, like, wanting to play Warhammer competitively... There was a guy that influenced my early development in 40k, and ironically, he didn't influence me in the beginning. It was his influence that I ended up realizing later on in my life as a 40k player, that influence was there and realizing where it was from. Mm-hmm. And his name is probably not going to be known to 90% of the people who listen to this podcast, but his name is Chris Stevens. Mm. I'm trying to, I, I think I have his last name right. It's been a very, very long time. I'm talking <laughs> uh, third edition. To put it into perspective for you guys, he was a he was just a local guy that lived out at the Air Force Base near where I grew up. Mm-hmm. You know, I was kind of a kid at the time. He was part of the very small community locally that was building in middle of South Dakota, middle of nowhere, right? And he was part of that community, developing and growing Warhammer in that community. And he was he was then 
what we're striving to be now. Like he, he cared so much to grow the community and to develop it. He would drive anywhere to play games. He would work with anybody to play games. He would go to someone's house. He'd do anything to get the community growing. And he wasn't all about just trying to win and crush people. To him, it mattered more trying to get that awesome experience and see the community develop as a result of it. And I, I think I'm fairly certain, I think he actually works for Games Workshop now. Awesome. Okay. He's actually a manager. I think he's a manager of one of their stores or an on-call manager down out of Texas. But I'll be honest, that's one. I mean, if, if I look back into my experiences and my growth as a 40K player, a lot of the good inspiration that I've had in my life can be traced back to those games and watching him because I was still a kid at the time and he was obviously I mean he was a, he was fairly young as well but <laughs> not as young as I was and he was an inspiration to me then and ironically he still is now yeah so I would have to say Chris is definitely one of the major 40k heroes for me awesome nice hats off to you Chris yeah uh, I'm going to take a a much more obvious route than either of the two of you mm-hmm. uh, I'm gonna say Brandon Grant okay he is a I almost said Brandon. Mm-hmm. He's he's a fantastic player. Uh, he's a delight to talk to. Yes, he is. He's not only very intelligible, but he's he's very kind of paced and thoughtful when he makes comments. Uh, and uh, probably more than anything else, um, his his level headedness, like his ability to to keep his head screwed on tight during even the very worst parts of the game, is something that I admire a lot, and it's something I I strive towards, but don't always necessarily meet. Uh, mm-hmm. But Brandon is just, he, he's, he's everything I'd like to be in a 40k player. Fair enough. Well, if we're going to talk about Brandon Grant and other big names, I think we should also talk about the bane of the 40k community, the cancer that's destroying this game. Cat pictures? Uh, it wasn't what I was thinking. I was actually thinking of netlisting. Oh, that thing. Uh, yes. Um... Net listing is a subject that comes up a lot in 40k, and it's it's funny because I, I come out of a background in Magic the Gathering where net decking is something people have whined about for years, and basically as soon as 40k got popular enough for there to be an internet presence, immediately net listing was the bane of the game, just like it was in Magic. Or let's let's put bane in quotes there because. I'm I'm gonna insist it's in triple quotes. <laughs> yeah. Mostly yeah. because the more people whine about it, the more I'm just sitting here as the sophistic logical person going, I don't get you humans. So yes, and that is exactly why I think we need to take the time. Let's talk a little bit of like well, first of all, what is netlisting? Because like we've been just sort of like casually referencing it, but some people may only have like a passing understanding of what it means and what it is, and I don't think there's necessarily a good agreement on it. Let's actually take turns. I'd like to hear the what everyone defines it as. Josh, let's let's start off with you on this. Okay. To me, netlisting is specifically when you take the concept of your list, whatever list you're going to try and run, either be it competitively or locally or whatever, direct inspiration from someone on the internet. Like someone, you know, I saw this list win a tournament or I saw someone run this list uh, at, at, you know, this event or saw these guys talking about it on this uh, blog post or podcast or whatever. It's not that, you know, you don't take your own twist on it, your own development on it, but you've taken that inspiration for this mechanic or this, the way these, this army is going to function as its kind of core 
from some level of inspiration off the internet. Shaylin, mm-hmm. how do you feel about that definition? That definition's pretty good. I would add that it's maybe not inspiration, but that direct copying is an aspect of it. And that's perhaps the bane part comes in, is when people copy the list exactly and use it. And I would say that's probably my feeling as well, that in my eyes, netlisting and a lot of the, the railing against it is when people letter for letter copy a list off the internet. But as Josh says, you know, some people consider inspiration. Uh, if you bring a Castellan Guard Blood Angels list, you will probably be accused of netlisting. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that list has been copied and recopied innumerable times. And pretty commonly, you will see people use netlisting also to refer to any list that is similar to a popular list online. Yes. Um, which given a lot of other factors, happens a lot. We're not going to take a moral stance on this as a whole, because I think the idea of there being a morality of list building is a little bit silly in and of itself. Yeah, no, breaking down copyright laws is just not something we need to do. Let's just say it. Copyright is not applicable to armies for Warhammer. Like, that's not a thing. In fact, that's something that a lot of people get really prickly about that I think is incredibly stupid is like, oh, he copied my list, or, you know, I came up with this list, or, you know, oh. (laughs) And that really bugs me for a couple of reasons, because A... That was my idea. You didn't come up with that list. The guy who wrote the Codex came up with that list. You simply combined all of the pieces he gave you into a slightly different form. Mm -hmm. Uh, And B, you probably didn't come up with that list as the only one. The, The reality is that, like, there's a finite number of parts in the Codex, and you are not the only person who can see the connections between them. Um, every once in a while, someone will come up with a truly genius idea that is outside anything that we've seen before, but that is very, very rare. Usually, you just kind of, like, put a slight tweak on what a hundred people had already done elsewhere. Yes, and if you come up with something that's super, super rare and out of field, that's using a synergy that's completely unexpected, often Games Workshop seems to have found that unintentional and nixes it. Yes. As Josh can tell you. Right. (laughs) If your list hinges on, well, actually, (laughs) you probably shouldn't count on it staying around for long. Yeah. That That is something that I've heard from a couple other players, and I think it is good advice, because especially this edition, Games Workshop has a habit of plugging holes. Yes, because they want to see a variety of things, and they've been working on it. I think they're overall more successful than they have been. Yes, and and also, uh, to that same point, if you come up with something that is super-duper original and weird and new and different and no one has ever thought of it before, in three months everyone knows about it. Yeah. So... Because it turns out you took it to a tournament and someone saw it. Yes, the internet means that information is spread out very quickly and everyone else can find about it whether you want them to or not so i think our our stance on this whole thing is is probably pretty clear to most people that not listing isn't a bad thing inherently at least it just is not listing just is it's like me being born female it just is yeah, it's, it's a reality of the game it's part of the mechanic right 
it's part of the landscape is that information is disseminated to different people, lists get spread out, things are more popular or less popular at given times for various reasons. It's just part of the game and it's something you should probably just kind of accept. Exactly. But we want to, as part of like the focus of the show, mm -hmm. kind of dip into like, you don't netlist all the time, even because even good players netlist sometimes, but then they also know when to stop. When not to. Yes. The fine line between excess and overindulgence. Yes, exactly. So I think we should talk a little bit about like ways it is it is going to have a positive influence in your list building and your skills, uh, but also ways that it can have a negative influence. Mm -hmm. um, since this is the the format of the show, good then the bad. Uh, <laughs> I think we start with the good part. What are what are some benefits that you guys can think of to to netlisting? Like ways that'll it'll positively influence you. Uh, I got a quick story for everybody. Sure. As I've been learning Tau, one of the very first things I did before I even opened up the codex is I went on to the Tau 40k groups and started staring at some lists there. Mm -hmm. And I wrote down how often I saw certain units appear. Sure. And I basically use that as a list of these are top units to study in detail because these units are key components Tau players keep reusing over and over and over again. Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, there's a reason that those units keep showing up in those same lists. And especially if you are newer to the game or newer to a particular army, as Shailin is with Tau, mm -hmm. um, finding out what those key components that everyone wants to use over and over and over again is a good shortcut to understanding what units are good. Because I'm sure Shailin has had this experience, is like you pick up a book and you kind of look through it and you're like, well, I know what's good in my book, but I don't know what's good in this book. Exactly. So I, so I sat there and I went, okay, what do I keep seeing? And what do I not see? Because I also studied units I didn't see trying to figure out why they were bad, which is a subject for a different episode. Yes. But, and as an exercise, I built lists trying to put them in, seeing why they didn't work mm -hmm. and why the present synergies exist. Yes. That is one of the most helpful things is like, other than the really obvious parts, looking at top builds and seeing like what's in them because they typically aren't all the same despite what some people will tell you mm -hmm. uh, there are a lot of variations on any given list even flavors <laughs> yeah the even the old like castellan guard uh blood angels list had a lot of variation within it you saw some of them with bulgren some of them without some of them with extra artillery some of them with a brigade some with a battalion yeah no there there are flavors and leans and the way i would describe not listing is it would define for you a set of fundamental list components that build an archetype but then there's a certain amount of the list that's considered play Sure. Like, when I build a list, I'm like, okay, I need these components to be successful, and then I have, like, say, 200 points left over. That's my play, and that's where I do all my variation and riffs and flavor. Mm -hmm. I always, I, I tend to think of list building a lot like Legos. Yeah. You have these pieces that are often combined into assemblies. Uh, so your pieces might be your units. You really can't break anything down at a lower level than a unit. And then you combine them to assemblies, so you might have a couple of different, you know, well, okay, you know, I had three guard squads, and I used the stratagem that combines them together into one giant blob squad. So, really, those three squads are one assembly. Yes. Uh, you know, usually with an officer to be giving them orders, because that's what why you want to combine them. Mm -hmm. um, 
and then those assemblies fit together into completed parts, i.e. lists. And so understanding which assemblies and which pieces are repeatedly used can be a big help because you know it lets you know what you're actually going to want. Um, just like with Legos, some pieces are more valuable than others. That little, like, two-by-two two square that is too high, you use that thing all the time. But, yep. You know, the 18-long, the one-wide piece, you didn't have very many of those. They didn't go in a lot of different things. Challenge accepted. Didn't say no things, I said not a lot. Hmm. <laughs> um... Looking at these lists and understanding, like, what pieces of them get used a lot because they're good. Like, that's the, the obvious, like, first takeaway is, like, if you see double Riptide in every list, you're kind of like, I bet Riptides are probably good. And I bet you need to take at least two of them. Well, maybe, but it's certainly a good starting point. Mm -hmm. Josh, what are those kind of, like, big advantages you see in someone for netlisting? In someone netlisting, the advantages on that? Oh, man. Yeah. The obvious big one for me is... It's kind of double-edged sword, actually, because one of the major advantages you see in netlisting is a lot of that trial and error that is uh, that a lot of people go through, mm -hmm. you know, that you don't see mm -hmm. is already done for you. Absolutely. Because you're like, oh, this is already a, this combo, this combo, this, this linear concept, this works. It shows that it works. This person showed that it works. The problem is by not going through that process of development that obviously whoever it is that you know, wrote that or figured it out, did, you don't understand the nuances yeah. of it. So it's kind of a double-edged sword, like I was saying, is you have the benefit of that work was done for you. Well, yeah. And you didn't have to grind out as much to determine that information. But there's obviously the other side of that coin in that you don't know those little nuances and how this came to be this working with this working with this. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and we'll focus more on the, the downside later. Of course. Josh's point there, or at least the, the first half of it, is, like, all of that testing process is done for you. If you're not used to building lists, you may not understand, like, how much trouble that is. But we've said before, when Josh or Shaylin and I put together a list, usually it has dozens of iterations before it reaches the form we take it to at a tournament. My personal best was 347 different iterations. I don't count mine because it becomes depressing if I do. <laughs> Good answer. But we'll just say, right now, my Battle Scribe has about 15 lists, you know, currently extant in it. And that's after I deleted 10 because I decided they were simply inferior to the other versions. That is pretty standard. Any netlist you see that wins a tournament has gone through dozens, maybe hundreds of iterations. The, the engineering process is all literally about design iteration. Like, you build it, you test it, you make it better, you build it, you test it, you make it better. Someone's put in probably a couple tens, maybe hundreds of hours on that already for you. That's design work you don't gotta do. Yes, and... You might say, well, it's obvious that this list works. Well, it wasn't obvious when they started. It's obvious now, in hindsight, what the correct way to do it is, but foresight is a lot harder than hindsight. Oh, yeah. And the, the big advantage is you do, if you start with a net list, you're starting with a concept that works. Because most concepts don't work. Most list designers will go through dozens of versions that just don't do what they need to do. Yeah, 
they have a concept behind them, an idea that might be interesting or useful or fun, but it doesn't hold together at the end of the day. Of that 347, 200 of them were just misstarts. Yep. For context there. Yeah. You know, Shaylin and I have many times in the past tried to, you know, put together various kinds of Grey Knights primary lists for her, and very often we'll get to, you know, 2,000 points or whatever on the list, and we'll look at it and we'll just say, oh, this is bad. Because we have the experience we have with designing lists, we can say at that stage, oh, this is bad. But if you're new to the game, you might reach that same stage and look at it and be like, well, time to build this army and buy this army and take it to a tournament and have it all painted. Mm -hmm. And if you do all that and get to a tournament and go zero and five with your army... Then you get the feel-bads. Yeah, it's it's a terrible feeling. It's a waste of money. It's going to be really discouraging. Mm -hmm. um, yep. Getting to skip all of that, of guaranteeing, like, well, whatever else about, I can say about this army, it works, mm -hmm. um, is a huge step for newer players. Yeah, and sometimes even a more experienced player doesn't always get it right. For sure. For example, that Grey Knight Sisters list I took to LVO, mm -hmm. I've done a lot of post-analyzation of my games. That list actually is broken. It doesn't work. Sure. I, uh, it didn't work for me, but yeah. it also has much of mechanical problems I discovered inadvertently in trying to take it to LVO. Sure. Not yeah. killing things turn one is a bad thing in a list, by the way. Well, That's yeah. not a feature I encourage. <laughs> yes. So yeah, like getting to skip past a lot of the failure steps is really big for newer players. And I think that's something we should probably emphasize here, is that newer players are often the ones who benefit the most. Yeah. Or, at the very least, players who are newer to an army or codex. Yes. Yeah. And and again, that's not a bad thing. No, absolutely not. It's not a horrible thing to take advantage of that information. But yeah. That's the whole point of... Standing on the shoulders of giants. That's how you see further. Yes, and, and that's a thing to remember is everyone is new at some point. You've got to learn from people. That's why we do this podcast. That's why we do research on the internet. That's, mm -hmm. that's why you want to learn about the game is to improve yourself. But you need tools to do that, and one of those tools can be netlisting. And another thing is you can contribute to the netlist pile of just putting a list up saying, hey, how's my list? And then having people batter at it and give you some of that iteration feedback and knowledge of list sure. building. Although I'm not sure I would necessarily qualify that as netlisting. Like asking for feedback on the internet is probably not netlisting. No, but it's how lists get up on the internet. So there That's is a true. certain like watching the conversation of a list get iterated on the internet. Oh, absolutely. also extremely valuable. Yes. Another kind of just, like, follow-on point I, I think I'd like to, to add to all of this that we've, we've emphasized a little bit, but I want to just make more direct. There's no shame in, in asking people to help you with your list. None. Not only do you not need to keep it secret because your, your super secret amazing idea has probably been thought of by a dozen people already, mm -hmm. um, but also, like, something we've talked about before is, like, you often can't see the flaws in your own creation. <laughs> sometimes you will but a lot of the time you won't and having someone else look at it and say oh i think you're going to struggle with this can be a huge help yes if you don't mind no absolutely a prime example of that actually was the couple weeks ago when i was a guest on chapter tactics mm -hmm. and i was kind of talking about that gene circle list that i was going to run yeah and I was talking about this amazing, awesome combo that I came up with to do, you know, to take the 10 bikes and drop them in, and throw grenades, and then go deeper into the line and throw more grenades. The, the demo charges. Mm -hmm. 
And I had it all in the bag. I was like, man, this is brilliant. This is a deal. It's like nine command points, but it's so awesome, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And something is stupidly simple. And it was stupidly simple. Yep. Like half a dozen people pointed out to me the next day after they aired it. Like, <laughs> hey, uh, that's all great, except you can't move that, you know, after you throw the first set, you can't move. <laughs> that's, a great, that's a great plan. It's too bad it's illegal. And I was like, huh, you know, you're 100% right. I should have thought of that. Oh, that's probably why no one had thought of it before. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> yeah, too bad you can't do it. Mm-hmm. Right? That's, you know, I was wondering why no one's done this before. Mm-hmm. Sure. Oh, yeah, because you can't. But that's exactly it. It's like, you know, I couldn't see that flaw. Like, it, I had run the numbers in my head, and it was all there, but I didn't see it. The, the flaw just it literally never registered in my brain. And so... Yep. <laughs> Someone else saw it, and they're like, literally, right away, like, dude, no. I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes total sense. I have no idea why I didn't see that. Oops. Also, like, even myself as an experienced Grey Knights player, I occasionally get rules wrong and things oh, like that, or misremember how a stratagem works. Like, yes. I haven't pulled a stratagem out of my back pocket in, like, over a year. I guess, yeah. it, I think this is how it works. I, I think we are straying a little bit from net listing into several other subjects at this <laughs> point. <laughs> But that is a benefit netlisting can give you is the is the cover your butt. Right. Well, yes. And I would say uh, more than anything, you know, Josh had this list that, you know, I wouldn't say relied on, but utilizes a major component, this particular strategy um, that, as it turns out, didn't work. Netlists will almost never have that problem. Mm-hmm. A netlist's fundamental strategies should work because they've been used before and and tested and observed by many, many people. Uh, so you're kind of in the safe zone there because uh, if you're like, oh yeah, and then you block off the Castellan with guardsmen and use this stratagem to make it more effective, and no one is going to be like, ah, you actually can't use the Raven stratagem on the Castellan because of this minor clause. It's like, no. A few thousand people before you have all used it on the on the Castellan. If it didn't work, we would know by now. <laughs> right? We'd know by now. So I have a quick question for the two of you, just to make sure this covers our butts for our listeners. Yes. Where do we find good netlists? Ooh. Uh, how do you qualify the word good? Because... <laughs> <laughs> good is gonna mean very different things to different people nope nope i got this i got this one okay josh what's here ready yep bcp it's not a bad starting place i i would say bcp specifically people top placing at gts and majors sure uh, um, not rtts necessarily but gts and majors it's a good place to start yeah, BCP is a great tool if you're looking to kind of like see what the field and see what people are playing. The only reason I would caveat that is because combing through BCP to find these GTs and majors can be a fair bit of work. Um, yes. People who are just starting the game may necessarily not not necessarily want to put all that research time in. I'll also um, spend the money to get a subscription. Well, the money's pretty trivial. $5 a month is nothing. I mean, even then, like, what I forget what they call it, but the the events that anyone can view the list sponsored on, sponsored events, thank you, are free to view, and those are often some of the biggest events, anyways. But so, there are a lot of other good resources. You often see just after any major tournament. Usually, it's just majors, not GT level, but GT lists will get posted as well. Mm-hmm. Um, people will post up the the top three or top five or top eight lists. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be a very good way to be kind of like, oh, he's playing Admech. I like Admech. I want to see what he's doing. 
Blood of Kittens has a really wonderful link that like they do all of the top tier lists for all of the factions. Right. Yes. One of the guys over at Best in Faction mm-hmm. um, is now each week posting all of the GT and Major top three lists. Um, nice. Or at least linking the the players and the things, and you he's not actually posting the full list themselves. Mm-hmm. You have to go look for them, but you can see what they are, so you know what to look for. Yes. Um, and Daka Daka and some of the other forums do things like this as well. There there are a number of different sources. Uh, where you can find these often if you are part of any of the Facebook groups that are specific to a particular faction. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, if anyone places highly or wins an event, people will start posting up their list in that faction group and talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, there are lots of online resources where you can go and find these lists if you want to try. Or someone will have the courtesy of tagging the person who knows the most about the faction to talk to. Yes. I've been tagged so many times. I'm sure. <laughs> There's almost always resources where you can find these high-placing versions of lists. Mm-hmm. Um, and using those as a resource for finding that list is a very good way to go about this. Well, I hear the summons. We gotta go, guys. Oh, alright. Uh, well, as soon as we have uh, scarfed down what they generously refer to as a meal... It is not. From our quartermaster, we will catch you all on the flip side of the episode. Wargamers, perhaps you have an army that you've always been wanting to collect, but just don't have all the cash flow you'd like to get all the models brand spanking new from Games Workshop Direct. Or maybe you've got an army you just don't have space in your life to love as much as it really deserves. Well, let me tell you about Mindtaker Miniatures. At Mindtaker.org, you can contact the buyer and sell your miniatures for used ones that are perfectly good and fun for everybody. how to even describe were those beans or was was that supposed to be meat or i I don't even know mine moved (laughs) i i i don't think mine had ever moved Uh, (laughs) oh it's okay mine did enough moving for the both of us okay you know what the trick is you bribe brenda with good food and she cooks it for you as long as you give her twice the amount you want to eat. Because my food was fine. See, no one, no one told me that ahead of time. Y- you clearly know something we don't. Yeah. <laughs> I 
feel like I was not properly informed. Yeah. Because I had biscuits and gravy, and it was very clearly biscuits and gravy. I had biscuits and gravy too, but there were quotes around both of them. So, <laughs> uh... <laughs> triple quotes, yo, triple quotes. <laughs> I, I mean, there were quotes around the word and. That worried me. <laughs> Alright, so let's, let's, let's talk about something slightly less vile. So we talked about a lot of the upsides of uh, netlisting here, but it is, of course, not all just sunflower and roses. There are some reasons why you don't want a netlist, obviously, uh, mm-hmm. because not everyone does it all the time. W- let's talk about sort of like why you would avoid doing this. I'm going to toss this out to Josh because he kind of started segmenting into it in the first half, so I think he has more to say. Yeah, uh, so there's definitely a couple big ones that really kind of need to be addressed on this. You know, just like you were talking earlier where for the newer players especially, being able to grab some inspiration off a list that they find on the internet solves a lot of that initial barrier, that competitive layer barrier that... They either didn't have the time, the experience, or the knowledge to be able to do themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of that grinding kind of got done for them. But like I mentioned earlier, that's kind of the other side of the coin in that you got to be careful. Mm-hmm. Because if all you're doing is just like, oh, I like that. That, that list looks awesome. I'm going to try that out. And you go and run it and it doesn't work the way you wanted it to or it didn't, you know, this didn't work the way you're after or whatever. You have to be careful because that's not necessarily the list. It's the person that wrote that list went through a lot of of progress and growth and learning the ins and outs of what did and didn't work with that list when they came up with that as they were building that. And obviously you didn't have that, so there's definitely going to be a learning curve depending on the list you, uh, you chose and how you got there. And so that skill, that developmental skill mm-hmm. that is inherent with, with learning a new list or building a list, you're not getting that. So you still want to make sure there's some way that you can obviously supplement that that learning. Yeah. And I was going to say on that kind of note is people build lists to themselves. And it could be that this playstyle this list's flavor leans on is not one that's compatible with you at all. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's definitely possible. Although I would say a much more common problem is someone who sees, aha, Brandon Grant run the LVO with this list. I will copy this list and win my local tournament. And they take the list of the tournament and they get beaten and they say, this list is garbage. How did Brandon do anything with it? And the answer is Brandon is a better player than you. <laughs> well, a prime example actually is the uh, Alex Harrison's list. Oh, yes. At LVO is actually a beautiful example of that is all of a sudden you've been seeing these flyer lists popping up all over the place where people are running like six, seven, and eight flyers mm-hmm. in these lists and they're struggling with them. Yes. Yeah. They just don't understand why are they not working. And here's the secret. People call that flyer list just an autopilot. Oh, God, no. It is not. There are some lists where you can just sort of breeze your way through it, but just like with the Castellan list, just with the flyer list, with a lot of armies... There are nuances, incredibly important ones, that you may not understand. Uh, and I've seen one of our our local players here has been running... It's different from Alex's list, but it's the same fundamental concept. And, and running in there, and he's run into a couple matchups where he should have won, but he just he played the list wrong and lost pretty badly. Mm-hmm. He didn't understand what was important in that as a learning a new codex thing is I'm playing a list, I'm playing the archetype, I'm not understanding the nuances, and by failing, I can start figuring out where they are. 
Sure. So it can teach you the nuances if you're willing to dedicate the time to learn the list. Yes. But understand you don't know the list walking in. Right. That would definitely be the upside is like you have a good base from which to learn from. But if you just pick up the list and expect to go in and do exactly as well as whatever top player built it, you're going to be disappointed. Also, it turns out a lot of top lists have a lot of fine detail and finesse aspects to them. They all that do. is often yes. a thing that separates a good player from a bad player is finesse aspect. So yes. keep that in mind. I think that it, that really does kind of like hit the point is like there's a lot going on in any list that you may not understand. That's fine because you never start with a full understanding of something. Just realize that uh, the first time you pick up a list, you're probably not playing it to its full efficiency. Very true. I took Tau to my first RTT, I lost a game, and part of that reason was I'm just slow and methodical and still learning and stumbling, and I did not play that list optimally at all. I played that list maybe 80% of what it could have done. And I think another part of things, and this actually kind of speaks to uh, something Josh had talked a little bit about earlier, that process of stumbling through and figuring out what works and what doesn't and getting experience with things is part of what makes good players good. Yes. Um, yep. That they have learned from past mistakes and have understood, like, oh, this list fails when I do this, it succeeds when I do this, and that informs their future list building. Um, they, they can say, like, Josh and Chaylin and I all have this experience with our respective armies, that we, mm-hmm. can, we can look at them and say, I'm not even going to try this because I know it doesn't work. I have tried it in the past. It has failed for these reasons. Therefore, I will not try it here. We have that experience with our armies that allows us to do that and that informs our list building. Mm -hmm. Uh, Exactly. You need that experience at a certain stage. Uh, And if all you ever do is copy other people's lists, you'll never get that experience. Um, Because we have put together lists and figured out, like, oh, I can't do that. That's too many points. Mm -hmm. Um, And and if you never build lists, you'll never get that. So you do have to, at a certain point, stop netlisting and start building lists for yourself. Mm -hmm. Because you need to get that experience, that understanding of how the pieces fit together. Going back to, like, the Lego example, it's like, if all you ever do is just copy it straight out of the instruction book every single time, you never build anything on your own, yeah, I mean, you're going to be okay at that, but you're never going to be able to make anything new. No Unikitty for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So you you do need to step outside the the safe confines of the nice little box you have been presented with and try something more unusual if you want to keep growing as a player. Yes. But that tends to be something that only matters more as you get towards the top end. Um, if you're still struggling to break even at a tournament, mm-hmm. um, you can't even make that three and two bracket, that may not be a problem for you yet. That may be a problem for the future. That is a problem that is that is facing someone who's trying to go from four and two to five and one. Yes. Uh, or maybe even just from three and three to four and two. Yeah, But certainly, you know, it's as you get towards that top end where it's like you need to understand how lists fit together. And how they fail together. Yep. That's why that's one of the reasons why I've been playing a few net lists is because it's been teaching me how the list fails. Yep. Uh, which, which teaches me how to beat it. Yeah, that's a very useful skill even for armies that aren't yours. We've recommended it in the past and will continue to do so because... Lots of lists look invincible until you have to play them yourself, and then you realize that they have a lot of failure points. Yep. 
So what, what, what are you guys' other thoughts? What other times would you <laughs> avoid netlisting if possible? A time I avoid netlisting is also partly in the learning process is when, as I said earlier, figure out what units are bad. Sure. Building lists with the bad units specifically and then playing them will teach you about why they're bad. Mm -hmm. It will teach you about what synergies you can scrape out of them because sometimes people do a list that's kind of off the wall and like, yeah, the unit's a little subpar, but that unit has a really good stratagem. Sure. That they might build a little thing around, and there's a gimmick they've tied in there that now you understand because you've explored that area. Yeah. Just to expand your un overall understanding. I would say that is uh, actually a, a, a very useful, is if you're looking to push the boundaries of what you can do with a list. Uh, if you're like, you know, I want to play Eldar, but I don't want to play the Eldar lists everyone else are playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Breaking outside of netlists, obviously, is something you'll need to do, and that typically means exploring units that other people don't use, mm -hmm. uh, or uh, combinations of units, if nothing else. Like you finding that fire prism stratagem was just a matter of you experimenting, really. Sure. Josh, do you have anything you wanted to tack on that? No, I actually think that one kind of got hit solid. Okay. Mm -hmm. I think the last big point that I have, at least, would be something Shaylin kind of... Uh, mentioned was a, a net list or you know, the popular versions of them or whatnot may not necessarily suit the way you want to play yes um, no these lists are designed for a particular individual um so just copying that individual's version may not necessarily do exactly what you want um now that said there will tend to be a lot of different versions of a given list out there there are easily 30 or 40 different iterations of the Castellan list that you could probably find pretty easily available. Yeah. I mean, five of them showed up at LVO in the top bracket, so mm -hmm. there's something right there. But you have some options to pick from, uh, and figuring out which one of those works best for you, if any, yeah. is, is definitely something you can do. Uh, but do be aware that those lists are all set up for a given person, and you probably at some point want to look to customizing that. Yes. Uh, and that said, also something I found internally fascinating is looking at the differences between netlists. Like, sure. these all use the same general archetype, the Castellan list, for example, but each flavor is a little different. Why is that? What What is that doing? Where's the advantages, disadvantages? It's a really good exploration exercise. Yeah. Did either of you have anything else you wanted to, to tack on there as far as, like, reasons you wouldn't netlist? Honestly, the, the big one, and I just kind of want to reiterate it because I know we've, we've already mentioned it, but I really just want to reiterate it, is netlisting, the easiest way I would recommend looking at netlisting is look at them like training wheels on a bike, okay? Mm. Yeah. They are amazingly useful and will really get you moving and, get, and gain you a lot of momentum and help that learning process mm -hmm. a lot for you as you are, as you are gathering different aspects of, you know, being more competitive or, or what have you. But at a certain point, you're only going to be able to go so fast yeah. once you take them off. And so don't grow dependent on net listing. Don't grow dependent on letting someone, you know, hey, that list is great. I'm going to use that. Mm -hmm. You know, learn to then take that list and develop it and make it yours and maybe even keep developing, developing it past where someone else has. Mm -hmm. But at some point, take those training wheels off. And don't 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 get used to them. Don't get comfortable. No one's ever won the Tour de France with training wheels on. You've got to pull them off at some point. Exactly. But almost everyone starts with them on. Yep. 
Uh, and I will point out that also with my Tao experiences, yeah, I did that net listing and I used that for research and I played a few of those lists to kind of understand them. And then I built my own Tao list. Yes. That was step two. That is typically what you will do with netlisting, is you will go online and look for an idea and see what's working and take that and then you'll modify it. Mm -hmm. uh, I would not often recommend taking an exact copy of someone else's list unedited. Mm -hmm. uh, you will probably change it either because your local meta is different and you don't need the same set of tools that they do, mm -hmm. or because you prefer different solutions that they do. Uh, you may not like some one of the units that they put in there, and you think something else does that job better, or because you don't own those units. Mm -hmm. You might not have 120 conscripts laying around, so you might substitute something else instead. <laughs> um, <laughs> But you, you should almost always look at a net list as a starting point. It should yes. not be the culmination of your journey. It should be where you begin to work from, and then you look at where you can go from there. So, hopefully everyone has found this useful and has maybe dispelled some of the myths that people have about netlisting, because I think there are a lot of those out there. Uh, people have a lot of preconceptions and assumptions about it. As we said, it's neutral. Don't don't see it as bad. Don't be ashamed to do it. And don't shame other people for doing it. Because let's face it, we all do it at some. Absolutely. I've taken lots of concepts from people I have seen in their lists online. I take list concepts from people that I have helped build their list. Yep, same here. Many. Information is neither positive nor negative. And, and, and netlisting is just taking information. What you do with it is what matters. Information has potential tempo if you choose to seize it. Right. <laughs> Power yourself with knowledge, dang it. Yes. So, if you have any questions about this episode, if you have something you'd like to tell us, or some, some commentary, or even just want to give us some feedback, uh, we would love to hear from you. We have an email, in the finest hour at gmail.com, mm -hmm. uh, where you can contact us directly. We also have our Facebook, In the Finest Hour, uh, where you can leave a message, or review us, or give us a like if you think we're doing a good job. Uh, and if you really think you're doing a good job and you'd like to be part of our very exclusive club, uh, we do have a Patreon also in the finest hour, uh, where you can come and support us for $5 a month. You get access to our very handy little subscriber chat where we do talk about lists and post our paint jobs and give critique and advice and also sometimes just post stupid Warhammer memes. Yep. Or in Shaylin's case, tell you how soon the episode is edited. That as well. Uh, our our listeners or subscribers there often get a little preview version of things. Uh, sometimes a snippet of this or uh, a little interesting factoid here and there. Occasionally things wind up on the cutting room floor that I think are just too funny to throw away, so I share it with Patreon. Mm -hmm. We actually will be adding some new features to that fairly soon for people to look forward to. Oh, yes. uh, we're going to have some subscriber-exclusive episodes. They will not be full episodes. They'll kind of be little, like, mini-versions that are mostly just the hosts chatting with each other, mm -hmm. uh, talking about some of our list designs and other stuff like that that we've been just discussing right here. Uh, but it's a nice little window for all of you who want to hear what our list design process sound like and want kind of a window into what our thought processes are like. Or also you might have us breaking down a practice game we had, like in sure. gory detail, like, okay, Sean and I just played this game. We're going to talk about it for like 10, 20 minutes with you. 
Yes, uh, but they're going to be a little bit more casual sort of thing, more of us just chatting about stuff rather than us attempting to break something down in more mechanical fashion as we do with the main episodes. Yes, uh, more all of the style of the hot take episodes, but not the content, say. Yes. Abandon all hope, ye who enter here, (laughs) for it is madness that you seek. I'm not sure that's how, quite how the quote goes, but, uh, well, yeah, we'll take that. <laughs> Autistic minds are not friendly for normal people, I've noticed. Yes. Uh, so what events do we have coming up in the, the near future here? Josh, I think you got a pretty big one. Oh, yeah, big one. Dallas Open coming up the end of this week. Uh, it's going to be really awesome. Uh, really looking forward to it. I actually get to go see an old military buddy of mine that weekend and uh, haven't seen him in a while. He's actually getting married uh, this upcoming year, and uh, it's going to be really cool to see him. I haven't seen him in God, uh, almost 10 years, so it'll be really awesome to say hi. And I'm going to go see the new Warhammer World and uh, the American Warhammer World, so I'm really looking forward to that. Oh, uh, yeah. And uh, also, we're actually debuting our very first booth at the Dallas Open, the Enclave Wargaming. We're going to be selling gravity dice and terrain sets from Zulk Terrain and Nexa Terrain. And it's going to be just a really great time. Having a good, Really looking forward to it. Shinies? Oh, lots of shinies. That is this next weekend? Yeah. And the week after that, I will be heading up to Wet Coast in Vancouver, B.C., Sounds like it is going to be probably just a GT, not a major this time, although I don't have a, uh, a final result on that. I don't know exactly how many they have. Hey, listeners, hug Sean for me. Hug him for me, too. Yeah, uh, you, you are allowed to hug me if you must. <laughs> it's not encouraged, but it is permitted. <laughs> uh, but I will be making an appearance there, say hi to a lot of our Canadian folks, uh, and I think bumping heads with, uh, Jim Vassal, hopefully, uh, as I believe he is going to be going to that event. He should be back home from, by then, yeah. Yeah, it's, he, he's on the roster, at least, so hopefully I'll get to see him there, maybe chat with him a little bit. Uh, I'd love take to a take selfie. his brain. Yeah, I, I might, I might. And after that, I don't, I don't have anything coming up until Storm of Silence in May, which I'm not hard set on yet but i may be attending it'll depend on whether the the wait list keeps ticking along here Ooh, ooh, and then you gotta mention the big one coming up in december yes the one shaylin will actually be attending yes this is still quite a ways off but we're doing a, a nice little favor to uh one of our friends jason bird who is running the event and has been a fantastic host and to oh yeah um, if you are interested, we will put a link up with this episode. Harbor Dice Con happening on December 7th and 8th here in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, it is going to be over in... Uh... Near Aberdeen, but not exactly Aberdeen, yeah, Washington. Yeah, it's not technically in Aberdeen, but right in that area there, just south of Port or uh, south of Seattle. Yeah, um, south and west of Seattle. Yes. That is going to be a uh, major event. And it is also going to have another number of games, kind of in the style of BAO and LVO, where there's lots of different games gathered at the singular event. He's got magic, he's got D&D set up, and I know he's got a couple other miniature things like X-Wing lined up, but I don't know all the specifics. Yes, there's the all, all the, the details of are still being hammered out, because it is obviously a ways off. But if you'd like to be a part of that and you want to make sure you get a ticket, uh, there is a Kickstarter going up, uh, which I believe is already successful at this point, And it hopefully is. only gets even more so. 
where you can buy your ticket as well as some extra super special bonus swag to the convention, including a shirt, a set of dice, and some other stuff. Uh, the con badges are dog tags? Yes. I found that out from Jason. That's awesome. This is the first time he's run a major event, but he's run several other GTs, which have all sold out and have gone just really well. He's got some great terrain and is very canny when it comes to organizing and getting everything rolling. So we're really looking forward to that, and we're super excited to have another major up in the Pacific Northwest here. Spoiler alert, uh, between the nights, probably Saturday night, Shailen will be having a both listeners slash her own birthday party because it's my birthday weekend. So I'm shamelessly going to treat my listeners to cake. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh, I plan on my cake. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> come to the event. We'd love to have all three hosts together again. That's always good times. I, I actually, I'll be honest, I am actually really considering going out to that one. Obviously, it's the holiday season. Sure. And flying, I'd have to fly to that one because there's no way in heck I'm driving across country in the middle of December. Yeah. But uh, assuming I can make it work, I'm actually really like I've been trying to look for which which events in the in the uh, Pacific Northwest I wanted to go to this year, mm-hmm. and I honestly think that might be one I really want to push for because it sounds like Jason runs an awesome event. I want to be able to support that. He really yeah. does. Uh, yeah, he has he has done a fantastic job so far. He's a really great guy, uh, and we strongly encourage any of our listeners who are interested in seeing us or just want to go to a really cool tournament uh, in coming up because it has been a blast every time we've gone to them yeah no um for someone who gets to basically go to one major this entire year this is the one i'm picking on purpose yeah i'm, I'm letting you guys know this is big <laughs> to me personally yeah so with that i would like to give a thanks to our other sponsors uh, oh yeah who are giving us actual money or goods as opposed to jason who is merely giving us gratitude <laughs> um, telling us we're awesome players yes well and he's done a lot for our community so i feel like he probably has earned this but i would like to thank dank muse who provides all of the extremely dank music for this episode you can check him out either on soundcloud or on youtube where he has a lot of his music posted if you like some goofy simpsons memes and some really neat electro then uh give it a look yeah, I'd like to thank Rylan Woodrow, our resident artist. You can find him on Facebook, but you can also occasionally find him on like the Warhammer fans page. He posts really cool Slanesh fan art. Yes, he so. is a fantastic artist, does a lot of great work with Chaos stuff as well as other things, but I think Chaos is kind of where his heart lives. Chaos is where his heart lives, but he does draw a fine Lady of Titan. Yes. And I would definitely love to be able to give a shout out to Mindtaker Miniatures. They are have an amazing, amazing website and how they do both used uh, buy and sell models. Mm-hmm. They've got an amazing selection. And if even if you're just looking at, you know, you got some old stuff on the shelf, you just kind of want to move and maybe get into a new forest, they're a great place to go. Uh, do a lot of good deals. And I definitely recommend checking them out. MindtakerMiniatures.org. Absolutely. Yep. So, we will not have a list of the week this time, as we are going to be opening that slot up for questions from our Patreons in the future here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Starting from next week outward, we are actually going to have a new feature where anyone who is a member of our Patreon chat can post up a question, and we will try and get around to all of those each week as we... uh, answer each of them in some amount of detail, uh, no matter how goofy or absurd they may be. But I think that'll be a neat little segment for everyone to maybe get some answers to questions that you're just not sure about, and also maybe learn a thing or two about the hosts. 
Yeah. In addition, I do reserve the right to not answer a question. Well, we probably won't get to all of them, as there's just going to be more than we can realistically handle. But if there's things people want to know, go ahead and post them up, and we'll see if we can't get something to answered for you there. Heck yeah. All right. So I'd like to announce our teaser. Oh, yeah. What, it, what are we doing next week? We're going to be analyzing our opponent's lists. Because, yeah. It turns out that is a pretty big deal, is knowing what's in your opponent's army. Uh, most missions have secondaries, and you gotta understand that part to pick the right secondaries. Yep. Well, Solitaire 40k does kind of suck. <laughs> yes. Hopefully you all will be looking forward to that, but for this week, I think that brings in things. So, we're in the finest hour. I have been Sean Morgan. I've been Shaylin Allen. Josh Thanks for listening. Wow.